We are nearing the end of our series of what is the gospel. Um, if you are following along in the book, which I believe some are, uh, this is this is the last week in which we're really going to be following the track of the book. Next week we have one more next week that I want to do for the series, but um, I'm just going to go in a little different direction than the book. Not that the book is bad or goes in a bad direction. Um, I just feel for for this group I want to go in a different direction. But I encourage you to finish the book. Uh, it, it is a good book. And so really we find ourselves in the fourth and final piece of the gospel. As we have said that we want to understand the gospel in its entirety, in its fullness. And one of, I think, the best ways that we can understand the gospel is by breaking it up into four parts. Um, again, I didn't... Uh, Break it up in these four parts. Uh, I follow Greg Gilbert's book, and he, I think, follows the Bible. Uh, and he breaks it up in four ways. Uh, the first being, anyone remember? What's the first part of the gospel we'd say if we're going to explain to someone? God. God. Yes, God, the creator. God, the just, the righteous. And then the second part is what? Man. Yes, man. Yeah, man, the sinner. Good. So we see God, who is the creator of all. He's just, he's holy, he's righteous. And then we see man, who's all of us, even if you're a girl, it means humanity, okay, man, we are the sinner, unrighteous, guilty, uh, deserving of God's wrath. But then we see what? Part three, we looked at this last week. It was wonderful, beautiful. We see Christ, the Savior, right? The solution. He is the one who saves us from our sins and from our sin problem. But now the fourth and final piece. We see God, man, Christ. Now, who can see above me or on your sheet, you may know, response. God, man, Christ, response. Now the question is, well, how do we respond to this? How do we respond to the truth of God being a righteous judge, man being a sinner, and Christ being our Savior? How do we respond to that? That's what we're going to look at tonight. All right, let me pray for us, and I will begin. Lord God, we ask that you would give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, minds to understand, Lord, a heart of worship towards you. God, I pray that you would be exalted in this time, Lord, that we would see your great grace and your great gospel, and that we would indeed respond in faith and repentance towards you. We ask your spirit would convict our hearts tonight. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, over the last month, if you've been here for the last four or five weeks, you have, Lord willing, heard the gospel truth. You have heard of God's plan of redemption to save you from your sins and to spare you of the eternal wrath of God in which you deserve. But now... I just said, the question is, how are you going to respond? And it's a personal question. I can't answer it for you. You can't answer it for your friend. But it's one that I hope that you all ask yourself seriously, and you do come to an answer, and that is, how are you, and how do you respond to the gospel? How should we respond to the gospel? Maybe it's where we should start. If you remember from our very first week, what is our authority? Uh, if we're seeking answers to the questions, to these questions, what is our authority? Where should we seek these answers? 
The Bible. Good job, Joe. I'm so proud of you. The Bible. Good. All right. So let's see. What does the Bible say on how we should respond to the gospel? Mark 1.15 says the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Did you hear that? How should we respond to the gospel? Repent and believe in the gospel. Acts 20, 21. What does it say? How should we respond? Testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of what? Of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. There it is again. Repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's Acts 20, 21. So what does he say? When we look at scripture, how are we to respond to the gospel? Faith and repentance. Now, not everyone's going to respond in this way. These are the ways in which we should respond to the gospel, faith and repentance. But not everyone will respond to the gospel in this way. Some will continue to harden their heart and continue to turn their backs away from God. So again, I ask you, how will you respond to the gospel? Will you respond in faith and in repentance? Or will you hear the truths of the gospel and reject Jesus Christ and continue to harden your heart against him? How will you respond? The one who responds to the gospel in faith and repentance is a Christian. It is a Christian, it is the one who turns away from his sins and trusts in Christ and nothing else and no one else to save him from his sins. As the non-Christian is the one who lets the gospel truth fall on deaf ears and walk away the same, rejecting the free gift of salvation found in Jesus Christ. How will you respond? So tonight I want us not necessarily to spend a lot of time looking on how we shouldn't respond, but more so on how we should respond in faith and repentance. So that's going to be our main two aspects that we're looking at tonight. Faith and repentance. First, this is how we are to respond to the gospel. First, faith in Jesus Christ. First, we see that we ought to respond. Our faith in Jesus Christ ought to be faith in Christ alone. Faith in Christ alone. And that's the key word, is alone. Christian faith is faith in Jesus Christ alone and nothing else and no one else. Now, faith, we have to understand, is not just believing something that you can't prove. Sometimes that's what people think faith is. It's, it's not like how, oh, well, you know, kids believe in, in Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny uh, and, you know, mystics. They believe in, in stones and crystals and, and Christians. Oh, they, they, they believe in Jesus. Silly Christians believing in Jesus. Well, faith is not just believing in something that, that's implausible just, just to make yourself feel better. So I'm going to believe in Jesus because he makes me feel better. That's not what it is. Faith is fully relying and trusting on truth. And what we see in Scripture, the gospel, is absolutely true. And the Christian has placed their faith in this truth. The Christian has placed their faith in Jesus Christ. This faith is a complete trust in Jesus. It's a complete trust of who he is. 
the Son of God and what he has done on our behalf. And it is relying solely on Jesus Christ to save you. I want you to let that sink in for a little bit. Let that become real. That it is you are relying solely, only on Jesus Christ to save you. You are saying, I'm not going to trust anything else in this life to save me. Just Jesus and him alone. That's it. Only Jesus. He's the only one I trust to save me. You are not trusting on your family to say, well, my family is a Christian family, and so I'm a Christian. I'm trusting in my family's tradition and my, and my family's heritage. We are a Christian family, so I'm, I am a Christian. No, that's trusting in your family. You're not trusting in me and saying, oh, well, my youth pastor will save me. He'll do it. No, I cannot do that. You're not trusting in your works. You cannot say, well, as long as I do more good things, then I'll be a Christian. As long as I act more like a Christian, then I will be saved. No, you're not trusting in your knowledge. Say, well, I know a lot about the Bible. I know the answers. I know what's right. I know what's wrong. So I must be a Christian. That will save me. No, it is Christ alone. That's it. Just Jesus. Then when you die, all you bring to the table to save you from eternal death is Christ. No backup plan. It's not that Jesus is plan A. Yeah, I think Jesus is a good plan. He's my plan A. But you also have a plan B, and you also have a plan C, just in case the whole Jesus thing doesn't work out. It's not like, oh, he's, he's the most likely solution. That's why he's my plan A. He's my most likely solution, so I'll trust him. But just in case, let me trust in a couple other things as a fallback. It's not that you think he, he's mostly the solution to your sin problem, that he's going to get us most of the way there. But you are sure, you have complete faith and trust in the fact that Jesus alone is the one to save you. That he has and that he will. Do you trust in the fact that Christ alone has saved you from your sins? Faith in Christ is saying, nothing else can save me, God. Only you. There's nothing I can do. To save myself. It's like jumping off of a cliff and saying, Jesus, if you don't catch me, then I'm done. Like, I have no other hope, no other savior, no chance to survive. Save me, Jesus, or I die. I'm not saying jump off a cliff. I'm not actually saying that that's what it's saying. Don't jump off a cliff and say, okay, Jesus, you got to save me from this cliff. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying, like, eternal, like your salvation. You're saying, okay, I know what is below me. It's death. I know what's coming for me. It's death. But I know, Jesus, that you will save me. This is what faith in Christ looks like. It's that I'm betting it all on Jesus. I'm going all in on Jesus. Except it's not even a bet. It's, it, it, it's a sure confidence of him. A sure confidence in the finished work of Christ on your behalf. And that's what really it is. It's his work that our, our faith is in. So next we see, as we look at faith in Jesus Christ, that it's faith in the finished work of Christ. It's faith in the finished work of Christ. Faith is relying on Christ's finished work to secure for you a righteous verdict before God. And solely relying on his saving work and nothing else. Remember, what, what is your greatest need as a human being? What's your greatest need? Now, is a little bit of review. Right? If we want to answer this, we have to know, well, what's our greatest problem? 
Do you remember this when we talked about man? Our greatest problem is that we are guilty before a holy and just God. Do you remember? We are sinners. We are guilty before a holy and just God. Therefore, our greatest need is to be found right before him. If our greatest problem is that we are guilty before a holy and just God, then what we need more than anything is to be found right before him. And we all have needs. Maybe you need to eat something because you're very hungry. Maybe you need a glass of water because you're very thirsty. Maybe you need sleep tonight because you're tired. Maybe you have a test tomorrow and you need to get an A or you're going to get in big trouble. Maybe you need to clean your room. Yeah, right, yeah, I know. Right? We have these needs, right? These are things that we need. Maybe, maybe you need a friend. Maybe you need to feel accepted. Maybe you need whatever it is. We have these needs. And these are legitimate needs. But there is never, not one, greater need than to be found right before God. You will never have a greater need than that, than to be found right before God. And you have this need. Do you know that? And this is not a hypothetical. Like, maybe you need to be right before God. This is a real need that you face and that you have to deal with. And when we put our faith in Christ, we are relying on him to make us right. We are relying on him to be our righteousness and for him to take our punishment. We are relying, fully trusting, having our faith in Christ, saying, I have no righteousness on my own. I am not contributing here. I am a horrible, sinful person. But Christ, you are perfect. You are perfect, and I trust that God will look at your righteousness on my life, and that you took my place, and that you took my wrath, and that it was taken from me, and it was placed on you. And it's because of that that I am now made right before God. See, faith is trusting that he took your punishment, that he gave you his perfect life. And having faith means that you believe and you completely trust that Christ took your punishment and that you get his righteousness. So that when God sees you, he sees Christ covering you. Do you have faith that what Christ accomplished is enough? That what Christ accomplished on the cross is enough for you. Do you have faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ? Christ did not get you most of the way there to your salvation, and now all you need to do is finish it. That Christ got you 99% there, and he, he did most of it, but you need to do just a little bit to get over the edge and gain that salvation, to finish it. No, Christ finished it. To tell us that it is finished. It is finished. His perfect, righteous life sacrificed on the cross as our substitute. And now his righteousness imputed onto us. And in our union with Christ, we bear his righteousness. We are seen as righteous before God. Do you have faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ? That it is done. See, so often there's a little voice in our head saying, but isn't there a little bit? Isn't there just a little that I need to do? Like, don't I contribute just a little bit to this? Don't I need to go to church to be a Christian? Don't I need to be like a good Christian? Like, don't I need to act like a Christian and do good things to be a Christian? Don't I need to pray the right prayer to be a Christian? 
No, see, that is having faith in Christ plus you. That is Christ getting you almost there. That is Christ getting you mostly there. That is not Christ saying it is finished. See, that is saying, well, I need, I need to go to church in order to be saved. I need to do the right things in order to be saved. I need to say the right things in order to be saved. That's not having faith in the finished work of Christ alone. Is your faith in Christ alone? Or is it Christ plus you a little bit? So that is faith, and that is faith in Jesus Christ. That's how we must respond. But it doesn't stop there. It must not stop at just faith. What do we see in Mark and what do we see in Acts? It is paired with repentance and repentance of sin. First, what is repentance? Repentance is turning away from sin and turning towards God. Repentance is turning away from sin and turning towards God. It is recognizing your rebellion against God and turning away from your sin. It is hating your sin and is receiving the forgiveness from God. Repentance is a change of heart. It is now hating your sin. It is now a new desire to put away your sin and to put on Christ's likeness. It is now a desire to glorify God with your life, no matter what. Repentance is hating that sin that remains. It is being disgusted with it. It is that being at war with the sin inside. See, repentance, I believe, is one of the main differences between a Christian and a demon. Believing in God does not make you a Christian. You know, the Bible says that the demons believe, but they shudder. James 2, 19. That even the demons believe. In fact, I bet some of the demons have better theology than most of us here. That they know and they believe more about Jesus than a lot of us in this room. Because when Jesus was on earth, the demons were scared. They said, whoa, wait, now's not the time, is it? They know. The demons know and they believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world. They know and they believe that Jesus is going to return. And that Jesus is going to reign. And that there's victory in Jesus. They know. They believe. They believe in Jesus. But the demon has not repented. They have not turned away from their sin. They continue in their sin. Their heart is hardened against Christ. They believe in him. But they refuse to worship him. They refuse to repent. And they continue to live against Christ. Let me ask you, are you the same as a demon? Are you not that different from a demon? Do you believe the things we're saying? Do you believe? Do you have faith? Do you believe in Scripture? Do you believe these truths? But there's no repentance in your life? You are just as good as a demon. See, repentance is turning in the other direction. Repentance is a 180 degree turn. Anyone know what 180 degrees is? Some of you guys? Anyone know who Tony Hawk is? Okay, some of you guys? Anyone know what a skateboard is? Okay, a little bit more. Okay, good. We got a skateboard. Okay, you guys know what, like, I'm going to embarrass myself. I'm riding, I'm riding my skateboard this way. This is how they do it. And they're going. And then you do an ollie. That's what it's called, right, kids? Yeah, okay. Yeah. <sighs> right? You keep going. Now watch. 
As you ollie, if I did a 360, <laughs> close. That's a 360, right? What's half a 360, mathematicians? 180. 180. So what's a 180? Turning that way. Ugh, turning that way, right? And going this way, right? That's a 180 turn. Does that make sense? Thank you, Juliana. Yeah. Wow, extremely bored. All right, that's 180. That's a 180 turn. It's a turning around, turning the other way. All right. The reason why I asked about Tony Hawk because he landed the 900. Thank you, Kay. Like no one even cares. It was cool in the 90s when he did it. Anyways, 180. It's turning around, right? It is turning away, uh, uh, turning away and going towards the other way. Like it's if I'm going this way. Let's say I am. Following Satan, as it says in Ephesians chapter 2, all of us in our natural state, apart from Christ, dead in the trespasses and sins, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, following Satan, that we are walking towards Satan. There's God. We have our backs towards God. And we're saying, I know, God, I hate you. I'm not, I'm not obeying you. And you are following Satan. A 180 is not just stopping and saying, I, I believe what you're saying. I believe in the truth of Scripture. But it's turning around. And now having your back towards sin and your back towards Satan and going towards Christ, going towards God, it is a change in direction. It is no longer pursuing sin. It is now pursuing Christ. It is no longer loving sin. It is now hating sin and loving the glory of God. Now, repentance doesn't mean that you're now perfect. Even Christian, you are still a sinner. But Christian, you are a redeemed, forgiven sinner. But you still remain in your sinful body, and therefore, you still have sin within you. But now as a Christian, there's a battle inside. At least, at least there ought to be. If you are a Christian here today, there ought to be a battle of sin within your heart. See, before there was no battle. There was no battle in your heart. You just moved through life, not caring about your sin. Just sinning. But repentance in a changed heart means actively being at war with your sin. How could you not? How could you not be at war with your sin? To be a Christian means that you now love God. It means that you now belong to God. Being a Christian means that you now worship God. So why would you want to do something that goes completely against him? If you say, I love you, God, and I worship you, God, why would you say, but I don't want anything to do with obeying you. I would rather just sin. I know that this completely goes against you and against your glory, but that's what I want. Why would you do that? The Christian with a new heart and new desire hates the fact that they sin against God. They hate it. They're frustrated at it. Why did I sin again? Why am I doing this? It's not just that they hate the consequence of sin. We all hate the consequences of our sin. Even the non-Christian. You hate being grounded. You hate getting your phone taken away. You hate a red bottom. Right, Joe? Right? You hate these things. Yeah, we all hate the consequences of our sin. But I'm saying the Christian hates their sin. They hate that they sinned against God. They, they are frustrated with the fact that they sinned against who they love more than anyone. Do you hate your sin? Do you have an active hatred towards your sin? Are you sickened by your sin? Are you frustrated with your sin? Do you seek to kill your sin? Or do you defend your sin? Are you okay with your sin? Are there sins that you want to hold on to? Are there sins you want to defend when people point out sin in your life and say, oh, well, no, you don't understand. 
Do you make excuses for your sin? Do you justify your sin? See, repentance is turning away from sin. And it's turning towards God. It's saying, I'm not following my sin anymore. I'm following you, God. And what that means, when you do that, it means that you are submitting to him as the Lord of your life. Which is our last point. Is that repentance is submitting to Christ, not just as Savior, but also as Lord. Repentance is submitting to Christ, not just as Savior, but also as Lord. It is nonsense to say, Jesus is my Savior, but he's not my Lord. And sadly, people say that often. Jesus is my Savior, but he's not my Lord. No! But so many people want this. They want the fire insurance. As in, they don't want to go to hell. They don't want to burn. But they don't want to give their life to God either. This isn't repentance. This is just fear. This is just fear of hell. But it's not submitting to him as Lord. It's not worshiping him. It's not repentance. Do you just want to be a Christian because you just want to get out of hell? Maybe you're here and you're like, yeah, you know what? I, I really don't want to submit to God and worship God, but I really don't want to go to hell because that sounds horrible. I don't like the heat. It's already too hot. I don't like the darkness. I have five nightlights in my room. I don't want to go to hell. I'd rather go to heaven. So I guess I'll take the whole Christianity thing because heaven's a lot better than hell. Is that it? Is that what it is? Or do you love God? Do you want nothing more than to worship him? Do you want nothing more than to live for him? See, repentance means giving your life to God, not just as Savior, but as Lord, as King, as ruler, as master of your life. It is surrendering your life to him, saying, God, my life is not my own, but it's yours. And so do with it as you will. It is submitting to him as your Lord. Now your life is all about him. It's about living for him. It's about obeying him. It's about serving him. It's about worshiping him. It's all him. There are many people who would say that they would love Jesus as Savior. I love for Jesus to be my Savior. But when it comes to him being their Lord, they don't want that. They don't want to submit to him. They don't want to worship him. And that's not repentance. Who is Jesus to you? Is he just your Savior? Or is he your Lord? Let me tell you this. If he isn't your Lord, he isn't your Savior. He cannot be one and not the other. You need to ask yourself, do I have a repentant heart? Do I truly personally, genuinely have a repentant heart. If you truly have a repentant heart, then that means Jesus is your Lord. So give your life to him. All of it. And this kind of faith, and this kind of repentance, the Bible says, will result in fruit for the Christian. It will result in fruit. You cannot be truly saved, and yet there's no change in your life. You cannot. 
Now, this change looks different for different people. Yes, of course, we're all going to change the exact same way and grow in the exact same way in the same timing. But there is a change. There has to be. There must be a change. If you are genuinely a Christian, you have a new heart. You've been saved. The spirit is now residing in you. You cannot say that you were spiritually dead, now spiritually alive, and remain the same. You cannot say that now God himself, the spirit of God, is living inside you, but you live the exact same. And there is no change. There is no transformation. That is impossible. You cannot be the same. The true Christian will begin showing signs of Christ-likeness in their life. So I ask you, is your life different now? If you are saved, you say, I am a Christian. Is your life different now than it was before you were saved? And not just, you know, I'm three inches taller. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying spiritually. I'm saying your love for the Lord. I'm saying, is there a difference now than before? Has the Spirit produced fruit in your life? I'll be on guard. I will say this. The danger is for people to think that these fruits are the cause of your salvation. And they are not. That you, you see fruit in your life and, and you believe that you're saved because of these fruits. You think you're saved because you're reading the Bible. You think you're saved because you participate in discussion groups. You think you're saved because you pray at CYG. You think you're saved because you're doing this and doing that. These things don't save you. Christ alone saves you. Your faith must be in him, not in your fruit. But as James would say, faith without works is dead. If you say you have genuine faith in him, then fruit will be produced. And it will be evidence of your faith. Not the cause of your faith, but evidence of your faith. Is Christ your Lord? Have you truly repented and submitted to him? If so, then live differently as you once did. And live for the glory and praise of him. That's the response of a Christian. You have heard the gospel. God, man, Christ, and now response. What is your response going to be? What is your response to the gospel? Don't hear the gospel and leave unchanged. Not everyone will respond in faith and repentance. Not everyone will. And the only other alternative, the only other response to the gospel is to continue to harden your heart against God. To harden your heart means to continue on your path of rebellion. It's this path, right? You did not take a 180, but you just kept going down this path. And you continue to go down this path. And you continue to reject God's gift of salvation. We've talked about the response of the Christian. In hearing the gospel, the Christian will respond in faith and repentance, right? But sadly, there will be many who respond in rejection instead. And these are the people who hear the gospel. They hear that they have a need. They hear the best news in all of eternity. Salvation in Jesus Christ. But they still reject this gift. And I believe there are people in this room that reject his gospel. 
and you are continuing to run from God, and you are continuing on your path of rebellion, and you continue to reject salvation. And to you, I plead with you to to leave leave that behind, leave your rejection behind, and come to his marvelous light and be saved. You are running from life, and you are running towards death. You are running from joy, and you are running towards pain. You are running from perfection in Christ, and you are running towards destruction. And worst of all, you are running from the loving hand of God, and you're running towards the wrathful hand of God. You need his grace, and you need nothing more than to be saved from him and to be saved by him. So stop hardening your heart and come to the Lord in faith and repentance as you may be saved. Maybe you have responded in faith and repentance. Maybe you are a Christian and praise God for this because a miracle has happened inside your heart. So give God thanks for what has been taking place in your soul. You are a child of God. And nothing can take that away from you. And nothing will ever be better in your entire life than what you have in Him. Christian, I mean, you you can win the lottery tomorrow. But even so, you will not be as rich as you are right now in Christ. And with this comes transformation. With this comes change. When Christ has saved you, Christ changes you. You begin to be marked with the same love and the same compassion and the same goodness and the same character of Christ himself. Can you say that is true of your life? If you're a Christian, can you say that is true in your life, that you are marked with the same characteristics of Christ? Genuine change means genuine fruit in your life. And remember, don't ever look at your fruit in your life and say, well, I'm saved because of my fruit. No, you need to be saying, if I am saved, where is my fruit? The saving comes first, but the fruit always follows. I want to just close with this. Just to be clear for everyone here, that there will be a time when we all face judgment. When we stand before God, let me ask you this. This is a personal question for yourself. Only you can answer this. What will you do? What will you do to convince God that he should let you into his kingdom? What will you do to convince God to let you into his kingdom? Your good deeds? Good things you've done in this life? Your good attitudes? Your good church attendance? Your family life? The fact that you didn't do anything that bad. What are you going to hold up and say, God, on account of this, I should be led into your kingdom? Because look at this. Look at what I have here. There is nothing that we can do for God except say, Christ did it for me. That's it. There's nothing we can hold up and say, God, on behalf of this, this is why I should be led into your kingdom. It is Christ did it. Christ accomplished it on my behalf. And in him and him alone, we have life. We are saved. 
Will you respond in faith in Jesus Christ and repentance to God of your sin? Let us just take a time as we close in silent prayer and confessing these things to the Lord. If you are not a Christian, I urge you to come to him in repentance of your sins and faith in Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian, use this time to give him thanks for the faith in which he has granted to you. And the Spirit's work in your heart to give you life. Give him thanks. Give him praise. Ask that he would continue to change you. Producing you desire to live for him and fruit in your life. That you live more and more for his glory. Use this time in silent prayer. And then I'll close this in prayer.